Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Aaron Lowe, and if you're wondering what this whole thing is about, well, every week I awake to find my head surgically grafted onto the body of another cinephile, not replacing their head just next to it a little bit, awkwardly perched on their shoulder. Together, we're given a note with a theme, sometimes cryptic, sometimes straightforward, and we have to each pick a movie that fits that theme and then discuss them. Who is doing this to me? Why are they doing this to me? Who knows? This is The Incredible Two-Headed Podcast. Here we are. The anesthesia is wearing off. So let me look slowly to my right and see who I'm connected to today. Oh, hey, I know you. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest host body today is Jared Jordan of Metallic Games and of being my friend. Jared, how are you doing today? Oh, you ever wake up with a headache and it's not yours? <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of an itchy shoulder as well. Yeah, yeah, I just numbing feeling that just won't go away so how how have things been going i know uh it is interesting times these days but uh you keeping yourself busy yeah i mean it's my my normal schedule isn't normal anymore uh typically i'm i'm traveling on a monthly basis to different conventions across the country and well for some strange reason that's not happening um but otherwise uh you know still still doing the dice game uh metallic dice games is still releasing new product uh we we had a very successful kickstarter and we'll be fulfilling that at the beginning of 2021 and launching another one after that plus new dice going out on our website all the time as well as hitting the distributors so hitting all the friendly local game stores so work keeps me busy because nothing else does yeah how about, um, I know we'll mention this a little bit later, but how about you want to throw out any information, just like a website for Metallic Dice Games for anybody listening? Oh, yeah. www.metallicdicegames.com. Uh, you can find all sorts of dice uh, and dice-related product. We have dice trays, dice towers, uh, silicone dice cases, wood dice cases. We got large dice, small dice, uh, acrylic, resin, metal, uh, gemstones even. We got over 50 different gemstone dice. It's 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 pretty fun. Sounds like you're you're actually sounding like you're turning into to Bubba there for a minute. Bubba? You're Bubba from Forrest Gump. Oh. <laughs> yeah. We <laughs> We got, we got the dice. unicorn dice. Uh, we got glitter dice. We got pearl dice. Yeah, no, I could totally bubble gum that. <laughs> it's been a while for me, but to, you're you're a big comics guy, and today is still Comic Day, correct? Yep, yep. Uh, we had a moment there um, during the whole COVID where comics did stop. Um, it wasn't right away. Uh, I want to say probably about mid-April, and went on about a month and a half three months maybe i don't know time got really crazy then because i judged the week by hey it's wednesday i know what i'm doing you know people who know me know what i'm doing on wednesday um right. yeah so I, I my my streak of going uh you know 20 something years every week hitting a comic shop actually came to an end because the comic shop actually closed on me yeah i i i used to be a big comic guy uh listener is jared and i used to work at a comic shop together but I, I feel really bad about this. I haven't bought 
comics in a couple of years, it just became such a space issue that I had to, I had to give it up. You know, we just don't have the room for it anymore. So now I, I have to deal with uh, graphic novels and a lot of those I end up getting at the library these days. Hey, no, no comics. Comics are a, are a lifestyle, man. Uh, it's, it's not just, just a hobby. It's, you gotta, gotta learn where to store your comics. It's a never ending. Even, even if you're just collecting on, on a slow, regular basis, they'll, they'll, slowly add up and before you realize it bam there's there's another box of comics where did that come from so we've got our note it's got our topic and our topic today our theme today is meta horror comedies so was that what the topic was meta horror comedies meta horror comedies okay meta horror comedies so we've each picked our movie where we've got uh, a movie that hit, fits this and uh when we come back we'll both be talking about it wait hold on Yes. What does meta stand to you? What 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 is meta? To oh, you? What, what does meta mean to you? <laughs> you're thinking of like comic book still, not not. Meta no, no, human. no. The term meta uh, like to meta me is 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 a gaming term. It's well, an I... acronym for most efficient uh, tactic available. I did not know that. I yeah. So I wonder. Yeah, huh. I'm thinking of meta as in meta fictional, where like it's it's fiction that is kind of about some about fiction itself. See, one of the, one of the things is people use the term meta in role playing games often, and when they use the term in meta for role playing games, it's when you as a player are using knowledge you have because it's the most most yeah meta, tactic available. You know, I know that meta gaming where you're using knowledge that your character isn't supposed to have. Yeah, yeah. In this, so, ladies and gentlemen, the movies that we're discussing today are going to be Cabin in the Woods and Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Uh, we'll get to those in a minute, but those both uh, meta in the sense, meta fiction in the sense that they are both aware of other horror movies. They're aware of the tropes that they are falling into as horror movies and commenting on them. Uh, more Cabin in the Woods than talk, uh, Tucker and Dale. I, I, yeah, I feel you. But, that's definitely tongue-in-cheek on that one. Yeah, but Cabin in the Woods is very specifically about horror movies, about the makers of horror movies, and the audience. It is very much, it's not quite breaking the fourth wall and talking to you, but it's very much aware of what you're there for, and it is speaking about those tropes directly, not just uh, not just embodying those tropes, but it it is... It is just there a, is there is a one scene in Cabin of the Woods that I would say is breaking the I don't know maybe three point five wall where it's a uh, the elevator scene where they suddenly realize they're in the elevators and it kind of they they look towards the camera as they zoom out that's kind of a, almost a fourth wall yeah that I mean like very literally they're looking at you're right um, <laughs> that's so, why I said like three point five wall. <laughs> Okay, so you want to just get into it? We can just start talking about cabin. Yeah, yeah, let's jump into it. Let's jump okay. into it. So, I just wanted, you know, like get, you know, so for those who didn't know meta, because it's it's used in such you know multiple ways. Like like you said, comic books is often meta for above human, the superhuman. You know, it's like it's just a crazy term. You know. So just a little bit of warning to listeners, we are going to be spoiling both of these movies. So if you're 
somebody who cares about spoilers, doesn't want to go into, into the movie knowing anything that happens, I would very much recommend that you stop this, go and watch the movies. We will be here when you get back. I think both movies are available at least to rent on Amazon Prime. I believe Cabin in the Woods is streaming if you have a Prime subscription. Uh, Tucker and Dale versus Evil is available to rent or you can get one of their channel packages on Prime. And I, I believe you can also rent it from a few other digital providers like uh, it looks like YouTube has a copy you can rent as well. But also, if you haven't seen the movie, we're going to give stuff away, but that actually does not lessen your enjoyment, I don't think. I think you can know a lot about both of these movies and still be pretty entertained by them. We've already started talking about it a bit, but Cabin in the Woods is a 2011 horror comedy from writer Joss Whedon and director Drew Goddard. Uh, I believe yeah. they both wrote the script together. I saw that mutant enemy, grr, arr, come up across the screen. I knew I had forgotten that it was a Joss Whedon film. Yeah, no, it's uh, written by Joss Whedon. Uh, they were both working on separate projects for bigger studios, and both projects had stalled out. I can't remember which projects those were at the time but they decided they wanted to do something quick for themselves. And so they, the way they say it, they uh, got a hotel room for three days. They spent a weekend writing this script. It's not exactly what came out, but they had the main script and they did a couple of revisions later on as they started to near production. To get back to the plot a bit, Cabin in the Woods is a 2011 horror comedy, a very meta metafictional, metatextual horror comedy about a group of teens who head off to the titular Cabin in the Woods where, of course, frightening things await them. But as we see from the opening scene and through a few hints here and there, uh, they actually give this away fairly early in the film. All of their actions are being guided by a mysterious, looks like a governmental force that uh, is guiding them to this cabin where certain doom awaits them. So, Jed, uh, we saw this in theaters after its torturous, or my partner and I saw this in theaters after its torturous production. We had to wait years for this movie to come out. Um, did you also see it for the first time in theaters? No, no, I didn't see it in theater. I, at least I don't think I did. Um, but I know I saw it because there was a lot of clamoring about this. This was a movie that when it came out, people were talking about it. Yeah, it's one of those movies that its delay kind of increased the anticipation for it because it, its production, it started with MGM. It was It was produced by MGM. MGM went bankrupt, but before they went bankrupt, like it, it, let's see, I have the timeline here. No, it was uh, filmed in 20, 2009. It was supposed to come out in 2010. MGM delayed it. They were struggling financially. They were going to try and convert it to 3D, uh, which I remember me, my partner and I were following this at the time, and we were both like, no, we don't want another conversion to 3D because 3D conversion is always terrible. There's, there's like one or two 3D movies that I actually enjoy. Oh, there's some good 3D movies, but the movies that are converted that are shot not 3D and not meant for 3D, it. Yeah, they just it yeah, that's true. It's the, the movies that I enjoy are the 3D movies. <laughs> uh, but then it got shelved completely. The studio went bankrupt uh, or was in the process of going bankrupt, and so they stopped the conversion. Eventually, they sold it in 2011 to Lionsgate, who finally released it in 2012. So it was almost three years the movie was being held up. And there, we'd seen images. Everybody was excited for it. This is back when Joss Whedon had a much, you know, better clout than he does these days. People were still excited for a Joss Whedon product. Uh, you know what? I think this was around that two-year hiatus he took between uh, Astonishing Twelve and uh, the Annual. So I think I might have been a little upset with him. 
you might have been oh uh well we, we can get into that what did you, you <laughs> just like a quick aside here did you enjoy his x-men run the astonishing x-men uh astonishing x-men has some good moments uh it's definitely you know really good but there was a delay there that that shouldn't have been i will say i was not a big x-men fan at the time i was a big joss whedon fan i did pick that series up and i'm i'm not gonna say i'm not an x-men fan i just don't read Marvel much. I, I really like that run. I also really like Warren Ellis as a writer, and he's the guy who took over Astonishing X-Men uh, after Joss Whedon left, and it, it it turned me off of being a Warren Ellis fan, in a way. Yeah, his, Warren Ellis's Astonishing was, it, it didn't follow the previous Astonishing, and it really didn't fit with the rest of the status quo. Like, they tried doing a change of status quo, trying to fit Warren Ellis's there, but it was just a little helter skelter, and they, they swapped up, swapped it up pretty quickly. Yeah, well, I will say whatever faults you have with Joss Whedon, he does know how to write unique characters. A lot of his characters, like we can talk about it here, some of the characters, the female characters, especially in this movie, do kind of follow a Joss Whedon template. They're, pride. <laughs> they're, they're kind of brand of feminism that he uh, professes. The, the women are always a little bit flighty, like they're supposed to be strong, but also demure. It's kind of, it's become problematic these days, which is why he's not as hot a property as he used to be. You, you know, you know who his females are often based off of, right? Uh, who's that? Uh, Kitty Pride of the X-Men. Oh, yes, yes. He's a huge Kitty Pride fan. I forgot yep, about yep. that. So his Astonishing X-Men, each character, Scott, Logan, Kitty Pride, uh, all of the characters had unique voices they were unique characters whether or not you liked them it was a different story but once warren ellis took over everybody just talked like warren ellis it uh it really showed me his limitations as much as i like him as a writer i mean we're getting off topic but uh, <laughs> the astonishing x-men i really i still really like that run i've read it a few times over the years but to get back to cabin in the woods what we're here to talk about. Well, we we'll go back to the Warren Ellis topic and X-Men. I originally was distasteful with them when he was doing Excalibur because the dude did not look into continuity, which is, you know, I'm a big fan of. So, but yeah, let's go back to the movie. <laughs> and I mean, we can, we can talk. Yeah, we, we can talk about whatever we want. This is our show. Well, my show, you're just here. Or I'm just here. I'm on this is show. my shoulder that you're on, right? That's That's true. <laughs> Yeah, there's a there's a certain breed of uh, comics writer that just doesn't seem to care about continuity. Grant Morrison would be another one. I think he he cares about it enough that he likes to incorporate it into what he's writing. But I know he had his own thing in X-Men where immediately after uh, New X-Men ended his run on that, they just completely threw out his continuity. The next writer. Certain certain parts of it. They, parts they of threw it. out some of the more outlandish ones. Which Morrison, I feel, is one of those like it's not a a respect to all continuity he'll open up like hey what are six titles i should read oh cool there's a thing of continuity i like i'll grab that and then doesn't realize that hey maybe that continuity has changed because you just picked out one bit that came out 10 years ago yeah i i guess that, that happens, that happens. I, I can get that and that's that's kind of another reason i i fell out of comics is just having to keep up all, up with all of this and it all changes through depending on writer and artist. I tend to go with the more self-contained like minis or maxi series, or uh, I follow certain writers now more than that's always what I did. I was always follow writers more than anything, but I don't, I don't really buy a title just because I've always bought Batman. I mean, I, mean, I should I, mean, I actually do that with X-Men. <laughs> yeah. But I got I, quite the extensive X-Men collection. So, yeah. I mean, 
if I was rich and had a big room to set aside for my comic collection, I would totally be doing the same thing, <laughs> but I don't. And I'm not I rich. Wish... I just don't have kids. But <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. I got it. As, it. as it is, all of my comics are basically turning our walk-in closet into just a regular closet. We can't go in there anymore. Been there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, hey, let's, let's talk about the plot. Um, yeah. So the, the movie opens with kind of an odd scene. Uh, right. Very, very, uh, very Kentucky fried movie opening right there. I felt. Oh, that's, that's an interesting parallel. Um, yeah, I guess, I guess so. But it opens with a couple of guys in some very austere looking facility. They're just kind of talking about their weekend plans or uh, Bradley Whitford's character is talking about his marital problems with his wife going overboard in getting their house ready for uh, driving down a corridor, theoretical kids. Uh, it, it's all very professional and kind of uh, sterile looking, which if you're going to a movie called cabin in the woods is kind of a, it's, it's a curveball. It is a curveball. Uh, you, it, it makes you think you're like, wait a minute, am I watching the right movie? Yeah. Did, and uh, I... I listened to the commentary and apparently the studio was very worried that that scene was going to Im- it was going to tell viewers they were in the wrong theater. Like he, they were, the studio was worried that viewers would get up and leave because they thought they were at the wrong movie. That, that and, was my reference for Kentucky Fried Chicken. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> so Joss and Drew both fought to get in there. And I think it's a great, it, it is a great way to start it off because this movie has a twist that you would expect in a normal movie. It would come in and about, about halfway through the movie and they just give it to you right in the beginning that this is not what they, it They tease it in the beginning because like uh, this scene this whole opening scene there 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 isn't anything they don't make any statement that's really out of the normal you know it's just two guys talking two two work people talking and you're you're confused on it and then they they flash the title cabin in the woods so you're like oh no okay i am in the right movie man and then they roll into to you know the regular music and and they 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 do like two or three scenes like that before they really start like they they just plant the seeds where you're like wait a minute what's we're back to this again what is this scene how is this connected to the kids going up to the cabin and then you're like oh wait what (laughs) yeah no that that's that's true the only real hint you get is when um amy ackerman is that her name right from fred? angel fred, fred? yeah, yeah. <laughs> fred <laughs> fred comes up and says the, the, the only stuff. other actor i recognized in the movie <laughs> really um uh, well fred come up and comes up and tells them that oh i, I recognize the scientist okay i do recognize the guy that's right yeah so fred comes up and tells them that stockholm has failed uh, they don't seem particularly worried. They talk about Japan has a hundred percent. They've never failed before. So now it's just them in Japan and that they haven't had a failure since 1998. And then they go off and they're talking about their plans after the weekend. And that title, when the title comes up cabin in the woods, that's officially the first scare in the movie. Cause it comes with a big jump scare noise and it just gets stamped on the screen so fast. Seeing that in the theater was great. Cause the entire audience jumped and it, it's oh really a, the entire audience jumped and it's such a a simple little thing it's just the title of the movie in in a way you wouldn't expect that it's it always gets a big laugh out of me when i watch it we cut to credits or uh, the music is playing and it seems like okay now we're in the right movie because it goes in on the camera of um dana right dana is the 
uh, our lead character and she's dancing around in her underwear, which is just like, okay, we're in the right movie now. <laughs> we're in a horror movie with some horny college kids because she's dancing around in her underwear. It's not far enough in yet that you're seeing tits, but you know there's a chance because you've seen some underwear. <laughs> That's right. And there's a, a little bit of uh, a very brief introduction of kind of all the characters. Her friend Jules comes in and uh, she's a blonde now. We never see her without it, but they make mention that she just dyed her hair. Uh, Jules's boyfriend, Kurt, comes in. And Kurt, you should recognize this. should be somebody you recognize. Yeah, a very small looking Thor. And this is, this is uh, by this time, um, he, he would have just have signed up. Uh, for Thor so sure you know because you you were mentioning how this movie took uh, like two years to come out um, by this time you know he's he's probably a lot bigger than, <laughs> than what he's shown in the film I mean he's still a big jockey guy but he's not the uh the Asgardian god that we we expect to see out of Chris Hemsworth nowadays no no and yes he was he was not uh, not really a known name at the time. I mean, he'd been in things. He wasn't a struggling actor, really, but he, he hadn't been anything huge when they filmed it. But by the time it came out, I believe he had been what I can't remember what year Thor came out, but it was around the time he had he had started. He had become much bigger by the time Cabin in the Woods came out to theaters, which is is part of the reason I think it it finally came out is like oh we've got a star in this movie we should we should release it right there's there's some additional advertisement because he's he's in it so we get the kids all gathering it's uh dana and her roommate jules and kurt the boyfriend um we've got then i cannot remember the other guy that kurt brings along that it's supposed to be Bodie. who is it isn't it Bodie or something like that you, are you talking about the stoner no no that's marty uh but no the other guy the other jock and I say jock, but they're not really jocks. They're just, you know, they're typically. No, no. The, the, and that's something actually they bring up is that um, uh, he, he's a psych major. Yeah. Like all of the all of the characters in this sort of fit the stereotypical slasher tropes. Well, not yet. Not, not yet. Not yet. But they're 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 being slotted into them they they fit them but they also don't it's kind of a twist on them that morty or, or marty is he's the stoner but you know we'll we'll discuss later what he does he, he shows up that. as the stoner too yeah. yeah and then kurt is kind of the the jock but then he immediately shows that he's a sociology major they mentioned later but he immediately shows that he's more sensitive and more intelligent than the normal jock stereotype in a movie by um kind of discussing the books and lectures that the main character dana needs to um right recommends like you shouldn't read these because the the teacher knows these by the back of their book if you read this instead because she was talking about getting ahead for college right what should like, i was thinking of, of reading this you know she's, she's shown as this big nerd right off the bat because they're gonna go off and change that in her character part of part of the big big twist in this movie dana our lead who's dancing around in the un in her underwear it kind of fits the Jamie Lee Curtis, Nancy in Heather Langenkamp in uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, the, that kind of virginal um, good girl, the final girl that we're supposed she, to. She is our screen queen. Yeah. And they they call her actually, they they call her the virgin in the stereotypes. But of course, we're, the first time we meet her, she's moping about this college professor that she's been sleeping with that just dumped her. Like all of the characters are stereotypes, but they also have their own twists that do make them real people instead of just the stereotypes you would see in 
a bad Friday the 13th knockoff. So we, uh, as the movie goes along, they're heading out to this cabin that Kurt's cousin just bought. And we're still seeing the control room is looking at them a little bit. There's there's scenes in the control room with the scientists. You you forgot one of the coolest props ever. Oh, okay. Let's go. Uh, It's Morty's coffee cup bong, right? (laughs) Yeah, that, that that actually is a, like. First off, I don't believe of him. At, he he does not pull off the stoner very well in this movie. I don't know. I just can't buy the actor. Fran Kranz. Fran Kranz. Yeah, like I don't know. There's there's something about him that's just kind of fake as a stoner. Not saying that I've spent plenty of time hanging out with stoners. And oh yeah, stuff, I mean, what, but... you have no experience, so I don't know. No, if I no, not at all. At not, all. <laughs> not at all. But but there's something there's something about his his performance um the other actors do a, a fabulous job they do the the change of characters really well you know even if they don't have much time to build up their initial character development you know the, you get you get most of it out of out of uh chris evans honestly you know they they, they establish him the most to, so that you see the shift you don't you don't necessarily see it out of the the buddy because he's kind of shy i i feel the initial trip out there he doesn't really start talking until they suddenly show that he's an egghead, which, you know, I thought the, the girl was the egghead and she stopped being an egghead. I don't know. There's something about his acting. I'm not sure how you feel about it, but there's something about his acting I just didn't take. But he has this collapsible, it's one of your typical, you know, silver thermos coffee cans, but it extends out like a telescoping, well, I guess it's just a telescoping cup, into easily like an 18-inch bong and and... And the handle comes off to become the bowl piece, and it's 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 quite the cool looking contraption. And 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 the buddy's freaking out. You can't take that thing out. And he just like collapses it into a cup. He's like, "What are you talking about?" All smooth and James well, Bond. Style. I I I know what you're talking about. Some of I think he grows a little bit into the performance as the film goes along, or maybe the character is just allowed to calm down a little bit. But especially in the early going, he's such a stereotypical stoner. Which is, of course, what the movie's trying to do, and he's got that kind of like high pitched voice, like he's he's kind of pinching his voice a little bit. Um, well, they they try to throw like stoner tropes at him, but also try to make him like, oh no, he's a cool college kid at the same time. Like, yeah, but that Fran Kranz is, I really like him as an actor. Uh, he was in Dollhouse, the Joss Whedon show that got two short seasons before being canceled and he's 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 really really good in that and so he's the he's the handler right yeah yeah he's he's the main scientist in dollhouse he's really good in that everybody in dollhouse is great but i'm not sure if it fits him quite you know to do this very stereotypical very hacky stoner kid character but also watching it this time because i've I've watched this a few times i've watched this several times since theaters but watching it this time it's a problem I felt with everybody where there's their stereotypical uh, behavior started to grate on me just a little bit. And it, it's something that I think the way the world and entertainment works has moved beyond what Joss Whedon revolutionized with Buffy and Angel and Firefly. His style seems a little bit old hat by now. Like it's very easy to see the tricks in what he's doing. Um, there's a scene in the very first in the beginning where Chris Hemsworth comes in and he sees his girlfriend holding books and he's like, what are these? Where did you get these? And she's like, I learned it from watching you. Her (laughs) her mannerisms in there. It's funny. It is. I still like it, but it's funny, but it's just like, I see how he's, he's writing these characters and the way they both embrace and kind of subvert cliches is, I mean, it's an impressive trick, but it is a trick that I kind of like, I recognize now. And there's, there's a part of me, part of it that I I wonder, you know, how much of it is them, you know, because, because the 
this this isn't necessarily a love letter to the horror movie industry. They're 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 poking fun at it. Like they're they're pulling out so many tropes and whatnot. Like part of me wonder like how much of it was directing on purpose, how much of it was poor directing, not necessarily poor directing, but like misdirecting how much of it was them specifically trying to make them tropey like maybe they were trying to get you to have this feeling for the character because you know they they didn't necessarily you know want you to love it as a horror movie it's it's supposed to be making fun of horror movies you know it's funny you say that because uh joss whedon in an interview he called it a loving hate letter to horror movies. He and Drew Goddard said they they envisioned it as a attempt to revitalize horror genre because they loved horror movies, but they hated that it had gone so much towards torture porn and just being a sadistic series of comeuppances for the characters. He wanted to kind of skewer that while also making a, a decent horror movie. I think it's pretty obvious. I think it works pretty well. I think they succeed in this movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely feel you. It's not like you know we hate horror movies completely, but I, I, I get that that what you're what, what he was trying to say in that you know definitely the at that point movies had gotten so tropey you know when Scream originally came out Scream changed the horror movie industry you know it it it, it really did but then it became a cookie cutter you know like oh uh, you you start having all these same Scream like movies where. They moved away from the actual horror aspect. I think that's one of the as- one of the reasons they brought so much supernatural into this is because a lot of the horror movies have moved away from the supernatural killer and the mystical thing to move more into the the snuff horror yeah, films. Yeah, you're right. Scream kind of made like everything for a few years after Scream was like I know what you did last summer or Final Destination or Urban Legends, these movies that were kind of like they were kind of trying to be knowing winks on horror tropes. Like they weren't taking anything seriously, it seemed. Um, there, there were also movies where this could happen. Yeah, well, I mean, maybe not Final Destination, but that's just a series of okay. Rube Goldberg. Uh, the, the first Final Destination, that movie's actually... That, 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 that's a scarier movie. I like the Final Destination movies. I kind of think a lot of them are very mediocre, but in theory, I like them very much. I, I guess I, I like them in theory more than in practice. I, I just ran through the series. I just watched them all over the last couple months. I know when I saw the first one, I was nervous around my house for at least like a, a, a good few days. You know, certain things I'd look at differently. Whereas like, yeah, you start to look at like, okay, make, let's make sure no water is dripping. Let's make sure <laughs> right. my, there's no frayed cords anywhere. Um, and, and if there's if there's one thing thing you want to put in a into a horror movie that scares me is like put in a bathroom scene like i i enjoy you know too much time and in, in, in the bathroom you know I, I take baths and whatnot you know it's 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 where my defenses are at the lowest and and horror movies with the bathroom scene always always get me where it's like oh Oh, here's okay. Bathroom scene. <laughs> yeah, I'm well, be we, on edge now. <laughs> the horror movie that has impacted my life probably more than any other is The Shining, uh, because that bathroom scene. Wait, which one? The, um, the, which? What do you mean? The, Kubrick. Oh yeah, the Kubrick one. When he goes into the room and that that old lady is in the bathroom, like the old lady is in the bath yeah. and kind of like chases him out. That impacted me so much. I saw it. I can't remember how old I was. I was very young before I was 10, I think all through my life, still to this day, if I go into somebody's bathroom and they have the shower curtain closed, I have to open it. I have to open it or look inside it. 
I cannot be in a bathroom with a closed shower curtain. Do you ever see the uh, made for TV shining with the wings brother, the younger brother? Yeah, no, I did. I have not. That's actually on, on my list. I really want to check that out. I'm a lot very... more, a lot more truer to the book. Also like really good. I mean, there's, there's certain things that I, I really enjoy about Kubrick's directing, but you know, he often strays away from the original source and you know, there's all the Apollo 13 crazy conspiracy theories in there. Oh yeah. Uh, we, but <laughs> yeah, we can, we can talk about more of this when we get to a Kubrick or Stephen King theme. <laughs> so that was the nineties was scream uh, and urban legends, stuff like that. I know what you did last summer. But I still you, know what you did last summer. I uh, also but, know what you did last <laughs> In the 2000s, we had Saw and Hostel and all these kind of like the French new wave of extreme horror as well. It was kind of, you know, torture porn was the big thing. And that's what this movie seemed to be rebelling against. In a way, I expected this to be kind of a new scream. I came out of this movie when I saw it in theaters thinking like, well, that's it. How are they going to make regular, straightforward horror movies anymore? Which is an incredibly naive thing to think. Like, why would why would I expect this movie would destroy horror movies? But I expected this would have kind of a scream level impact where more horror movies would have to find different ways to come at it. But it, it really didn't. It seems to have kind of gone away, not 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 so much gone away, but it's not talked about that much. People know about it. It's a popular movie, but it just doesn't seem like it. It, it, it lost its hype. That's for sure. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it has legs. And a lot of that, it's, I think it's not the. Uh the classic you know the instant classic everyone thought it would be i'd say where when people bring up horror movies it's one that's not thought of right away and i i still really enjoy this i still like i said i've gone back to it several times over the years i do think it it is how joss whedon is con is viewed publicly these days he's had really he had a bit of a uh, go ahead i think avengers yeah i think that's the one that brought josh whedon's name to everyone's table because like yeah he 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 did cabin in the woods but people talked about joss whedon doing avengers it wasn't just like oh have you have you heard about the avengers it was like oh did you hear about joss whedon direct people said did you hear about cabin in the woods you know like I didn't even realize it was Josh. I might realize it back in the day, but it was it wasn't something that stuck with me. And Whedon's work, you know, I I, I am a fan of of Whedon's work. Uh, followed enough of it, Firefly and and uh, yeah, no, I I still really enjoy Whedon. I just I think the public perception, the way fan culture considers him now, is he's fallen quite a bit. Like he's he doesn't have the same cultural cachet. Uh, people are not as excited about a new Joss Whedon product, even though like he hasn't really done anything since since reshoots on Justice League. So well, we can stop being kind of micro about the plot and just jump to the reveal and the macro. These kids have come to this cabin. They're being guided by the invisible hand of this unnamed organization that the people in the control room down in the, you know, the facility have been guiding them to this cabin where they've laid out all sorts of mystical objects that will call upon some sort of punishment then the kids will be killed one by one it's an annual thing we we gather from what they're saying and that um, that is like the one of the biggest like homage scenes like first first the whole introduction you know because uh a cabin and they go down and you see all sorts of knickknacks and whatnot that that look like artifacts that you've seen in in, in all your your old typical horror movies I, I i really like that yeah so you're talking about the cabin like the basement has all those knickknacks and stuff in there and it is it is very appealing to kind of a horror fan especially on a rewatch to kind of go through that scene frame by frame just to see what's in the background. And you can kind yeah. of, you see when they get down there that everybody gravitates to a different object. 
And especially later in the movie, you see what those objects might have summoned. And you can see like, oh, I kind of want to see what he's looking at on those films. Although I feel like those films are just going to be kind of torture porn snuff stuff. Uh, the betting board. The betting board is probably one of the, the funniest things about the movie where uh, you see all the different groups of scientists and, and they're saying like weird monster names and whatnot. And they're 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 making bets, you know, placing bets on on what they think is going to take out the the kids so during this scene when everyone's holding things you see people getting antsy because you know that's what's gonna summon their bet <laughs> yeah there there's a bunch you know people have screenshotted that um whiteboard oh yeah yeah who had who had zombie witches for march yeah that 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 meme <laughs> that's that's from there's, the there are deadites on there there's scarecrow folk, snowman, dragon bat, dismemberment goblins. That is like just one of the most fun things. Like as a horror fan, you just watch it and you're like, oh, this is amazing. When after, you know, we see them go through this night of torture, uh, like escaping the the Buckners, the zombie torture redneck family that they summon. Um, towards like the end of the movie, our surviving character is Marty. The stoner has, has lived and discovered what's going on. He's found a way down into the facility. Saves the day with his bong. By the he way. saves the day with his bong. <laughs> and when they get down into the facility, you can see the. Oh, and, and the pot actually saves them. Cause like, oh. uh, that's, that's like one of the big things in the movie. They're, they're pumping chemicals. And, you know, we, we mentioned that earlier. Uh, they're pumping chemicals into the house to to change them. This is why their personalities are changing. So they they become more like the victims they want. But apparently, they the the chemicals. You know, they they, they keep talking about the the chemical department. There we go. That's the word. Discovered that his pot was was messing with their results. And well, and there's one point where he hears voices. He's like, "Shut up! I'm not listening to you." Yeah, he you you see that early on when they go down there. So what calls the Buckners is. Dana finds a diary for this young girl who died in the early 1900s and her family who were basically sadomasochists. They liked to, they liked to inflict pain. She had her arm cut off. There's a lot of cutting and other dismemberment. Her diary has some Latin in it and it Marty. Is homage to Evil Dead reading yeah, the Latin. Marty just says, I'm drawing a line. Do not read that Latin. And there's a voice that whispers, read it and he hears it nobody else does but he, he you see him like turn around like what and he's like are you guys are you guys stupid like do we got to take a vote on this yeah <laughs> you actually see it there's a bit of foreshadowing too when they all get off the motorhome at the cabin and everybody is like oh it looks kind of run down he just like stops and he's out there alone in the yard in front of the cabin he turns around and he's looking like there's something going on but he completely saves the day or does he? Well, you know, we'll have to talk about what's oh, right. going on underneath. <laughs> he figures everything out. He sees, he finds the cameras that are watching them. He finds the entryway to the facility underground. He yeah, actually he's... almost saves them. I didn't catch this until this watch through. Um, there's there's one point where girlfriend had been killed at this point, and the three are trying to escape, and they're like, Oh, the the cave-in, the cave-in hasn't happened yet. How come the cave-in hasn't happened? And like I didn't catch it until this watch through, but they they comment about there's a a a short and some wiring above, and that was actually him when he was playing around with things. Yeah, yeah, because he finds an elevator uh from where the Buckners were brought up from the facility and that actually so we'll pivot to that because i ask like he said i say he saves the day but i don't really does he because we find out at the end of the movie uh, the movie kind of 
tells you the twist early on that these people are being controlled, but it, it leaves why they're being controlled till the end. And you find out that well, we keep getting phone calls from the director. Yeah, who, we, we who, find out nor, towards the end that this is a annual ritual sacrifice, that it has to go in a specific way. It is a ritual to appease the old gods and to keep them slumbering, because if they wake up, they will destroy all life on Earth. The great reveal on who the, the director is uh, at yeah, the end. We can get to that in just a moment. But what I want to say about Marty maybe maybe not saving the day is that by the time they're leaving and they're going for the cave-in, we understand a bit of, what, of what's at stake. We understand that the facility are not evil both sides of this equation the people who are trying to kill the kids for the greater good situation yeah the the people who are trying to kill the kids and the kids are the good guys and they're acting you know they're doing the best that they can and they're doing the right things that scene when they're about to escape and richard jenkins i can't remember his character's name notices or bradley whitford i think notices that the cave-in hasn't happened yet and richard jenkins has to go and fix whatever is wrong in that scene who are you rooting for like, do you want the kids to get out and it means the death of everybody on Earth? Or do you want the kids to, like, be trapped and they'll be... I don't, I don't think we know at that point it's the death of everyone on Earth. It We actually don't know at that point, but it, you certainly do yeah. when we watch. But it, it is... Right, it, right. It, it is interesting because it's a scene where when I watch it now, I'm rooting for both sides. <laughs> like, I want the kids to live. I don't want them to be killed. But I also want the... I know what the scientists are doing and why they're doing it. And I want them to succeed. See, this time on the watch through, I was I was more the wait, where did this short come from? Oh, and I was more like, oh, yeah. look, look at that. Okay, I didn't catch that before. And yeah, so, and Chris Evans' death in this, um, because of that situation, he he has a pretty awesome death. Yeah, yeah. So uh, he dies because the tunnel for the only road to get out of there has collapsed. But there's a canyon that's not very wide. It's kind of a narrow canyon. And he believes he can jump it on his motorcycle. But of course, they put up some invisible barrier there. So he just hits a wall and just bounces all the way down. And, and we had seen that barrier earlier when the when they originally went through that tunnel. We saw a bird fly into it. And, and it's kind of a shock when you see it. So to bring it back, Marty notices everything. You're right, because his pot. But you hear that Amy Acker, she says she's part of the chem department. And she says that they treated the shit out of the pot. So he should be just drooling. But you also see uh, kind of early on, he has his own secret stash that they didn't touch. They didn't even know about that. He's been smoking from as well. So it's been inoculating him. Uh, so he they had the I heard the comment that like, that's one of the things like that they said, but I never saw that secret stash. I didn't see where that was actually at. So I, I actually, I watched for it again and I didn't see it. You, you do see it, but they never call attention to it in the movie. They don't see anything say. different. Yeah. But like, you see, he's got a separate bag from, everything else i mean from from experience you know not experience of handling pot you know mo most of the time people don't just you know that it's, it's kind of kept secretive even when everyone else knows it's around you don't just like yeah. oh, i'm gonna throw this out on the center table especially when he's you know the only real big pothead i mean the other guys are are indulgent but they're not indulgent with him every yeah. moment he is it, it was actually i think a special feature uh there was a um Fran Carans was doing some video diary walk through the set and talking about his wardrobe. And he mentioned the secret stash that nobody knows about, even the facility scientists. And that's how he wins. Or how, how even he, the people watching the movie. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, Super secret. This is kind of a, a funny callback because the very first scene in the movie, uh, Fred, I'm just going to call her Fred because I can't remember. Right. For, uh, she's telling them how worried she is because it's down to just Japan and America. Bradley Whitford is like, yeah, but we haven't had a failure since 1998. And who screwed up in the 90, in 98? Oh, right. It was the chem department. And who do you work for? Wait, it's coming to me. So he's kind of like, like making fun of her because she's in the chem department and they screwed up, which caused them to fail in 1998. And it's funny because that's what causes them to fail this time too, is the chem department. Yeah, we do uh, occasionally get some clips uh, from Japan. I think probably around this moment, it's a classroom full of kids and some glowing vengeful spirit in the middle and all the kids are are scared and hiding behind their desks. yeah um, that happens a little bit earlier it's actually right before this scene happens that marty comes back because we, we think marty has died and it's not until just before marty comes back prove he's alive that we see, that japan, we see japan have issues yeah yeah japan failed and that's kind of funny too it's a scene of like all these school kids and a, a, you know, the Japanese long-haired ghost in a classroom. They're like folding origami in the end, and they're like, and now Kiko's spirit can rest. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and Richard Jenkins is just pointing at the little school kids. Little kids. But they, uh, at this point, they think they won the science. Oh, they started celebrating everything. Yeah. Because you don't need to kill the virgin. The virgin is optional. Yeah. The scientists are celebrating, but then they get a call from the director that somebody has survived. They killed the wrong person. But how did the boy die? How did the one, the, the, the egghead die? He was driving the motor home and he's saying, we're just going to drive through the woods until the tires. Oh, he got washed. And then he, yeah, he got stabbed (laughs) through the throat. (laughs) Washed. Oh my God. (laughs) I never saw that scene coming. Jeez. So he gets stabbed through the throat, and that's when they they drive the motorhome off into the lake. And then he takes her down into the facility, and that's when we get the scene where it pulls out. You can play freeze frame and just try and identify all the monsters. There's zombies, clowns, creepy ballerinas, ghosts. Uh, was that Kevin from Sin City? It's like in one scene. Oh, that is. That is, because he's on the board. I was like, like Elijah Wood? Yeah. I didn't it's realize like... that. I'm going to have to go back and look, because I looked at the board, and I saw the name Kevin. And I was like, huh, Kevin. But yeah, that's, I am definitely going to go back and. Yeah, it, it's like, uh, it looks just, you know, black, black and white freaking rim, rim bottle, bottle rim glasses. That's great. You, you kind of want a sequel to this movie just to be able to see all of the other ones. There's a killer robot with a chainsaw arm. And I kind of want to see that. Like, I want to see that movie in a cabin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's, 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 they, 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 they do some really good effects. Like, some monsters look super cheesy and awful, but some are like, whoa, that, that looks awesome. <laughs> the end of the movie, or the last act of the movie, Dana and Marty are in the facility and they purge the system, which releases all of the monsters in waves and so you just get this really crazy ending with just like every monster imaginable killing everything in sight there's a unicorn that runs down a hallway and stabs. oh that was good yeah Yeah, (laughs) uh, the the one ongoing joke um the one scientist had had, his bet was on mermen and i guess one of the talismans to summon the mermen was in the hands and the guy had almost summoned them and you know he he just always wanted to see them and that's how he ends up getting killed because yep, when the merman he goes he's like oh really <laughs> yeah so the yeah it was chris hemsworth had the um the conch shell in his mouth he was about to blow in it yeah, about to blow on it <laughs> and so when he sees it he's he's kind of dazed a little bit he gets hit with this like concussion and he's laying on the ground when oh, the facility is going right? crazy yeah, 
and he get, he starts to look really interested because you can hear the like kind of slap of fins coming towards him and i i can't tell his response when he sees the merman is oh come on and i can't tell if it's because he's upset that he gets to see a merman but it's going to kill him or he's upset he gets because he gets to see a merman and it kind of looks stupid yeah yeah no i feel you like that that's one where it was not the most impressive merman you know when 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 he's originally talking merman i'm thinking you know uh the deep one style um like a creature from the black lagoon, lagoon almost. yeah yeah and and i hear that was one of the monsters they were planning on having and so it was a totally different this this is like i i guess the merman what it was supposed to be is bottom half man top half fish oh if i had to take a guess that's what they were shooting for because you really oh. don't see the legs no you don't but, it, but i I think the, the the top half totally looked like 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 a carp. Yeah, I I think it was intentionally kind of stupid looking because I think it was supposed to be to like, show the disappointment. Yeah, 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 to show the disappointment, but also show like yeah, this is a water creature. What are you going to expect when it's on land? It's it's unwieldy. It has to kind of flop around a bit. It looks just kind of gross. Although it has that great moment when it starts eating him and blood starts spurting out in geysers <laughs> out of the blowhole. Yeah, yeah, squirts. <laughs> That was a good moment. And then, uh, so the uh, things go on from there. Marty and Dana get to the this kind of like ritualistic altar area. And uh, the director comes out and it is... Sigourney, uh, Weaver. Sigourney Weaver. Yeah. Uh, Ripley from, from Alien. For... Who, like her career these days is really just being impressive cameo i love sigourney weaver but this is kind of the thing she she does a lot nowadays where she i I got i got super excited when she shows up in paul yeah 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 like she just kind of shows up as kind of a winking joke like people are like oh that's so great they got sigourney weaver for this she was super excited to do this movie yeah yeah they say in the comment in the commentary that when they got to set the first thing she said is when does the where's the werewolf yeah yeah I, i saw that in an interview with her once like apparently like She's always wanted to do a scene with a werewolf. So I almost wonder, because uh, uh, there, there's a werewolf in her scene, was the werewolf originally intended to be in the scene with her? Or were they like, oh, rewrite? Oh, <laughs> uh, you like, mean because <laughs> it's never on screen with her? She doesn't... Yeah, like... it's not necessarily on screen, but like, like it's, it's it's the last monster face, you know? it's it's I, I don't think she has any necessary screen time with it, but she's she's at least on set with it, I, I would assume. You know, she's there, or at least it looks like she's there uh, screen-wise. Um, but I wonder if, if, you know, werewolves were mentioned, you know, as a potential monster, and then she's like, all right, when do I get to do my scene with a werewolf? And they're like, I guess we got to rewrite what the last monster is, because there's no reason to have that werewolf there at the end. It didn't really fit into anything. Unless you know that Sigourney Weaver really likes werewolves. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't know. I kind of feel like it was always there. They do need something to maim but not kill Dana. Because at this point, Dana is about to kill Marty to save humanity. And the werewolf sneak, sneaks up behind her. And I think maybe they just wanted her maimed but not killed so they can have the moment at the end. Yeah, Sigourney Weaver lays out the plot of the movie. Says that they have to die in the order that is deemed you know the the stereotypical order in a slasher movie where the final girl is the virginal girl uh dana's like virgin 
Vince Grinnewier does that like, ah, we work with what we have. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so at the end of the movie, they kill the director or actually Patience Buckner, the little one-armed girl who wrote the diary, comes in and sticks an axe in Sigourney Weaver's head and they kick them both over to the old gods and they just sit there and they share a smoke and the old gods rise and all we see basically is a big hand come up out of the ground underneath the cabin and like down on the camera. And at the end of the movie, Nine Inch Nails starts playing. I think we, we've kind of talked about it a bit, but what are your like, thoughts about this movie do you is this a movie that you enjoy yeah yeah it's still you know uh enjoyable um even you know it's it's a movie where uh i i did enjoy uh, another walkthrough uh watch watch through you know as a horror buff sitting there trying to see things you know peg them like oh what what does that go to because it's, it's they don't have necessary rights to movies uh one one monster where honestly like i where i was talking about where a rewrite i I feel that they had this pinhead character that they didn't use where they paid some focus on him. Like in two scenes, um, they gave him more screen time than almost any other of the monsters that appeared, but he doesn't kill anyone. Does he? Um, You see him on a security monitor. There's somebody being killed, but it, looks like he might just be watching somebody else kill him because he's wrapped up in chains. Okay. Um, but that's that's pretty much what Pinhead does. Pinhead just kind of watches while people are torn like apart. Like games and whatnot, yeah. Um, but yeah I, thought, I thought he would have been a good choice at the end, you know, making that, you know, because, uh, oh, what are you going to choose? Yeah, because he does Hannity? have, he, he seems to have in the elevators a moment he seems to share a moment with dana where they're both staring at each other she's something that i feel is left undone like if if there is like if they're trying to have a sequel that actually connects to this movie i think that that's a route they could take like i don't know because they even had a name for him they had yeah he's the only monster that's named he's fornicus lord of bondage and pain and i want to say they bring it up like twice don't they well he's called hell lord on the whiteboard okay Uh, okay but in the credits he's called fornicus lord of bondage and pain but he does get a lot of screen time and like i said yeah like looking at him is the moment dana realizes all the things in the cabin they chose how they were going to die yeah because he's holding that box and and one of her friends was holding the box in the basement but he is kind of looking at her and it just might be his character but he's looking at her in a way that it does seem like he's he's going to be important like there's a connection there and he doesn't come back he he kind of comes out and wanders around a little bit yeah this is like i said this is a movie that i i do go back to every couple of years when i first saw this in theaters as much as i was impressed by it and i was like oh this is going to kind of change horror movies for a few years i felt like the movie itself didn't quite go as far as it could have it it gets pretty crazy at the end i feel like the movie gets too stuck with the redneck torture zombie family it gets bogged down in that and the movie is is poking fun at the genre tropes but it's also not the most interesting part for it right for me it's not the most interesting part i I felt that that they could have pulled out like another monster you know there should have been like more monsters above ground like the because it almost looked like they failed they weren't doing that good of a job no it, it they i think it was be they chose them or they modeled them to be able to make fun of like the torture porn horror of the time, but they weren't, they weren't that visually interesting. No, it was, uh, they had some silliness, the, the throwing the bear trap to yeah. snag people. Yeah. They're not that visually interesting. And a lot of their scenes are very poorly lit, which is weird because a lot of the monsters later in the movie are lit like, you know, these fluorescent lights. It looks very nice. You can see everything, even if it's a digital effect, but the Buckners, it's so dark that you there's, really can't see a lot of what's going on. There's a lot of stuff when they're in the cabin and in the woods that is very dark, unless they're showing something like a 
most of those stuff when they when they're in the woods is dark as heck except when they show the pheromones being released suddenly those plants are like lit up like oh we have a, a light on them they try to draw them to a certain part in the woods by raising the light in like this one little clearing so they're they're guiding them which is kind of why that area is lighter but yeah i just i i wish they were more interesting the buckners and the the horror parts until you get to the end like it's really funny it's really great the whole movie right up until the Buckners show up they're a little bit of a letdown but then once they get down in the facility the movie is great again so I, I I really enjoy it I get a lot of fun out of it I do think like I wish it went a little bit farther I don't know what a sequel would look like I don't know how they would do one but that would have been fun if sequel prequel maybe oh maybe a prequel or, or they could do one from another country we'll see what happened in Stockholm or uh, was it not it was brazil that had the big giant monster that was it just showed it dead on the ground yeah and you know the studio actually tried to cut all of the scenes of japan they just didn't think people would get it get the joke that it was a joke on you know japanese horror uh so they tried to cut all that stuff which i i can't i can't understand it's like the studio didn't really know what was going on with this movie yeah i mean that happens though right yeah, of course. So you said earlier that when MGM had this, there was a tie-in downloadable content planned for, it was Left for Dead 2, but because MGM went bankrupt, all those were scrapped. However, if you look in the elevator, the glass cages, there are some Left for Dead monsters in there. They allowed them to use some of the uh, animations in that scene. Because, I mean, they had, they had a lot of monsters to fill in. So yeah, I, I, I believe it's the, the four different boss type zombies are supposed and, to be able to see when they, when they zoom out and show. And that, I really wish they had done that downloadable content. I haven't, I played the first Left for Dead. But man, that would have been cool because apparently it would have had you playing in both the upstairs cabin and the underground facility. And that sounds like... Oh, you think it was DLC and not uh, a whole nother game? Oh, well, that's actually what I was reading on Wikipedia. And there was an article, um, one of the gaming sites talking about it, said it was tie-in DLC. One thing I recall from a Fangoria back in the day, Scream Queen, her... Well, I guess she's not a Scream Queen. She's a horror makeup queen. But um, Nightmare of Elm Street... Um, Heather Langenkamp. Yeah, she she did uh, some of the visual special effects, the makeup yeah, effects. Well, her husband is David Leroy Anderson, and he owns, they both own AFX Studio. She actually goes by Heather Anderson now. Oh. Um, well, I I, yeah, I believe I believe most most crediting apps because or most uh, credits I, oh. I believe that's how she actually lists herself. Okay. Well, um, yeah. So she, they, their company did the effects AFX Studio. I was reading they hired like they had to hire like 70 extra people to work on it. And uh, they were hired a few months before filming began so they could get a head start. This was a low budget movie, but I still think the effects hold up pretty well. There's some stuff that's like you can tell it's CGI because CGI never ages well. But I, I still think it looks pretty good. Yeah. So one more yeah, thing. I mean, that's at the point where like CGI had had at that point become pretty smooth, though. It, it wasn't it wasn't like the, the mid 90s transition where... <sighs> There's so many <laughs> '90s horror movies are ruined by they just really thought special effects were at were much better than they were. <laughs> There's so yeah, many and good movies. The, the ones that kill me are are the ones with that had a history of practical effects being great, and then throwing in special effects where it's like, did you not watch it? Did you did it not strike you that maybe hey we lost some realism there? Um, like my my biggest disappointment, I have problems watching it is one of the cuts of alien three is all like they, they do special effects on the alien and it does not look good <laughs> oh yeah yeah I, I i remember liking that a lot when alien three came out but it, it is the, the it, effects do not hold up yeah. no 
go back and, and you're like, oh. CGI just ages so poorly because our eyes get so uh, adept it's at spoiled. catching it. Our, our eyes adjust to it so quickly that pretty much you go back and revisit a movie from a year ago and it looks the CGI looks bad. The only movie I can think of where the CGI has not aged poorly at all is Starship Troopers. The scenes of the spacecraft, those look like kind of PlayStation 2 graphics, so those aren't very good. But all of the bugs in Starship Troopers, any of the CGI, like masses of bugs running, man, it still looks so good. Um, the special effects in Galaxy Quest are still off the hook. Did you say awful? Off the hook. No, great. Oh, off the Amazing. hook. Okay, I was about yeah. to say, we watched that a little while ago, and that's that's pretty good stuff. Both of those there's cases. A, there's another, you know, meta, meta movie right there. Yes. Uh, both of those cases, though, we mentioned are movies where they use mostly practical effects and then CGI to to upgrade a little bit, which some they can do a little bit. They can overboard. Uh, Our can... next movie we're talking about is very, very little CGI effects. In oh. fact, like most of it was done on the bees. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, uh, we'll get to, get to that in just a second. So I, one more thing I wanted to mention, it's, it's just, it's kind of a funny aside. Maybe I won't include it in the show, but Joss Whedon and company were sued by Peter Gallagher, not the actor, a, a writer, Peter Gallagher, for copyright infringement for this movie uh, because of his 2006 novel called The Little White Trip, A Night in the Pines, which is about a group of young people heading to a cabin where supernatural deadly frights occur, but it's actually a horror film scenario designed by mysterious operative. And so he, there were, it was right down to there were character similarities. Um, the I can't remember what the characters in the book's names were, but the char- female characters in this movie were Dana and Jules in the book. The Long White Trip, they were another D and J name pair. At first, when I read the article, I was like, oh, that sounds like there might be something to it. But then I went and read a little bit more about what the book is. And I was like, oh, this this is completely ridiculous. It got thrown out. The uh, case got thrown out. What the book was about is they were filming a reality show style horror movie. And so uh, it wasn't this whole, you know, appeasing the old gods sort of scenario. Plus, the book was self-published. He sold it outdoors in Santa Monica. And his argument was <laughs> his argument was that Joss Whedon had production offices in Santa Monica at the time and easily could have bought a copy of the book. <laughs> it, it seemed a little, little suspect. I mean, if there's a lawsuit, I would expect it to be like Evil Dead, you know, Sam Raimi or something. That's the thing is that it, the scenario didn't sound close enough. But of course, he's he is going off of your right. Evil Dead, The Cabin in the Woods. There's a lot of uh, Friday the 13th. There's so many references. scenes. I mean, the the cellar door popping open, the reading of Latin from the book. You know. Yeah. Okay. Do you have any thoughts before we move on? Or do you think we, we've we covered Kevin? Um, what did your little one think? You watched this with your little one, right? My big your one, bigger, actually. The, the little one is little only one. four. The big one is 16. So we watched it with a 16-year-old, and she liked it, is all I can say. Which means yeah. she really liked it, because a lot of the times she just shrugs and says it was good but she <laughs> said with some with some measure of force i liked it so that means she loved it and we'll probably be watching it again all right our second and final film that we're discussing today is tucker and dale versus evil also released in 2011 it had its premiere in 2010 but it was released wide to the general public in 2011, the same year. Well, I didn't realize these were the same year. They actually like have a pretty similar history. Production began on this in June, 2009. It was supposed to release in early 2010, 
It got it went to Sundance and South by Southwest in early 2010, but could not find distribution. It was picked up overseas in mid 2011, like Sweden got to get it, but nobody picked it up until Magnolia bought it in late 2011 and gave it a very brief theatrical release. And then, of course, 2012, it came out on DVD. I remember this. So the plot of the movie is Tucker and Dale are two threatening seeming, but actually very well-meaning rednecks who have bought a vacation home, a cabin in the woods. Not the cabin in the woods from the first movie, but a very imposing looking one nonetheless. And they weren't afoul of some teenagers on summer break, something like that. Uh, it's kind of the opposite of a meet cute where... The teenagers assume that Tucker and Dale are evil, villainous rednecks who are going to torture them. But of course, they're not. They're just going to fix up their vacation home. And Dale, I believe, Tyler Labine, uh, has kind of a crush on one of the college girls, but is uh, socially awkward. And when he tries to introduce himself, everybody thinks he's threatening them. And it kind of starts a series of um, misunderstandings where Tucker and Dale are trying to help the college kids. The college kids keep thinking that Tucker and Dale are trying to kill them and in their reactions end up killing themselves instead. So Tucker and Dale believe that they're on some kind of suicide cult. Yes, yes. <laughs> they, they came in, they came out into the woods to kill themselves. Alan Tudyk and uh, Tyler Labine are so likable in this movie. They're so much fun. Uh, oh, they're so great. I'm actually a real big fan of Tyler Labine too. I, I, there, there hasn't been a role that I haven't liked him in. Yeah. the The first time I saw him, I think, was uh, that show Reaper. Uh, yep, yep. I was about to say uh, Reaper is where I fell for him. Uh, he, was, he was smock. Yeah, he's so good in that show. Although when I first saw him, I kind of thought like, oh, this is Jack Black. They're, they, they're telling him to do a Jack Black style performance. I think he's 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 kind of much sweeter than that in his performances. Uh, there's yeah. something just very lovable about him. He's always really kind of likable, even when the material he has isn't the greatest. Lovable know. goof. Yeah, you, you kind of like enjoy seeing him. I don't know what your history of this movie was. I remember seeing the trailer that they released in 2009 and getting so excited for this movie and then being so frustrated that nobody bought it at Sundance and that it was not being released anywhere. It was a very long wait. Like, we, like seriously, I would show people the trailer. I would watch the trailer almost every month. I was so excited for this movie to come out. This was a movie that I had a similar experience as, as fanboys where I had seen a trailer for it. And then, you know, I was like, like it looked, it looked great. And then nothing, you know, just disappeared. And you're like, did I not see a trailer for an awesome looking movie? Cause like, I, I hadn't seen like, Tyler Labine hadn't been in much at that, that point and and he's the one who grabbed my attention right away uh, you know don't get me wrong I'm a big uh, Alan Tudyk fan too but Alan Tudyk at that moment still hadn't done much um, you know Steve the Pirate and and, and Walsh from, from Firefly uh, but you know like like ah see, seeing those two together i thought it was like oh this movie looks great but yeah you know they're uh, uh, did good at sundance from from what i recall and then nothing yeah it got an audience award at either at one of them sundance or as south by southwest where it was uh it was given the audience favorite award so it was like well received at the time i just don't understand i think the movie plays great with an audience like a, it's a really good group watch. It would be a movie that if I just went out and saw it Saturday, like a midnight movie, it would be a ton of fun. I see everybody getting into this movie. So it's very bizarre to me that it took so long for people to like a, a distribution company to pick it up. I, I think its problem is, uh, you know, what, what genre do you classify it in? That's true because it is, it has, it has a lot of the tropes of a slasher movie, but it is not 
ever scary. It doesn't ever really try to be scary either. It is more a comedy than a, a horror. I mean, there there is a there is a bit in the opening sequence. It's not until um, you, you're you're introduced to the kids at first. You know, you get your your typical. They're driving out to the middle of nowhere, and uh, a beat up pickup drives by, and Dale and Tucker are in it. We haven't been introduced to these yet, but they're they're just like looking out of their car, all creepy as they drive by, and then the kids come across them at the gas station, and it's, you know that that old back town gas station beat up that you typically see. You know, hitting the, the movie tropes, just like uh, Cabin in Woods. We had a similar gas station in that, um, and and. It, shows the 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 rednecks being creepy and you know the at this point they're they're painting them to be the bad guys of this movie and then we're introduced to these two lovable rednecks and and their their crazy antics that it's you know the the mystique is is quickly vanished within you know 10 minutes easily oh yeah it's that gas station scene we're still seeing it from the college kids point of view and then it cuts to like right after that to tucker and dale and you can tell they're just goofing off or goofballs. They're not, or at least Tucker's not incredibly bright. Dale is uh, maybe underestimates how bright he is. <laughs> they're not dumb. They're just like, this. They, they don't know the world at all of the college ignorant. kids. They're, and they're so they're giving off this yeah. very menacing vibe. And, but you see immediately, it's kind of a misunderstanding from that gas station scene so many great moments in that like when he goes up and introduced himself like he's he's carrying this scythe yeah uh he uh he alan tunic tells him he's like oh just go over there and no matter what you say just smile and laugh so he goes goes up and just like so the kid's going out to the woods <laughs> yeah <laughs> like that's this creepy laugh all in the scythe and it's like oh man <laughs> the uh then the the kind of preppy kid chad does this little like like kind of like i know kung fu move on him and uh i think he even says something along that line doesn't he say like i know karate or... yeah uh he's such a douchebag so they they go to their respective like they they go to their tucker and dale go to their cabin the kids are camping somewhere nearby in the same oh you know there. what we actually did have a horror scene i forgot uh the very beginning of the movie starts off with the uh, news reporter going into the burnt down cabin yeah and we come across a, a scarred looking figure if you ask me I, I think you might feel differently about this but i don't like this scene i don't like this as an opening to the movie uh, it's not needed i'm not sure why they put it there they, I expected in the commentary they would say something like the the studio wanted them to assure audiences it was a horror movie or to give them the tone earlier earlier in the movie but it, it is there's it, it is a joke at the end it is but it doesn't because you see that lady about to go into it yeah but that scene as it is doesn't add anything to the movie it actually it really doesn't it, it actually because the the scarred figure like i said we're spoiling this movie the scarred figure that you see is very clearly chad and he's alive and the movie kind of explains what or that scene kind of gives away the joke way too early where the the joke is that tucker and dale are being mistaken for vicious killers when they're actually just right we've the seen the place. killer yeah we've we've seen the killer you you ruin you ruin the reveal because if i have a complaint about this movie it is that it is it only has one joke and after a certain point it stops escalating that joke it's it, you kids are killing themselves on accident by trying to stop people that they think are killers and it's funny when it happens there's a lot of gags in that like very dark humor bloody humor but um it, it is the same joke over and over again it's a funny joke but the fact that the movie gives you the punchline or spoils the punchline in the very first scene 
was a mistake, I think. Um, yeah, no, it, it definitely doesn't add anything to it. The two camps separate. Later on at night, the kids are skinny dipping. Tucker and Dale are night fishing. They accidentally scare. Um, oh, we, we, we get a, we get to see the cabin. We get to see their cabin first. Oh, yes. I, I think there's some great moments in that. You know, they, they do a little foreshadowing with the, uh, the roof two by four that swings down. We got to get that fixed. You know, oh, that, that, that could kill somebody. We better get that fixed. One of my favorite things is there's, there's all these newspaper clippings about serial killers and stuff out in the woods and all this. And they're looking and they're like, Oh my gosh, do you see what we have here? There, you can get two for one chili dogs at the so-and-so where there's, there's some line where they're looking at all this stuff and he knows it's a coupon <laughs> instead of like, are we in like some kind of murder cabin? It is funny how they seem so impressed by the cabin when it, it's falling apart. Everything's covered in dirt. Everything inside of it is broken. It looks like there's been a major fight in there. In, it, it builds like, up the wholesome. These guys, these guys are happy. They're going to fix it up and they're going to have them a summer home yeah like yeah they're very sweet guys it does foreshadow some of the uh events that are to come so they're they're out at night kids are night swimming tucker and dale are night fishing they startle allison uh the blonde girl that dale had a crush on and she falls and hits her head they rescue her and uh the kids see that and think that they're kidnapping her and dragging her we got your friend yeah Uh, they try to, yeah, they try to call out, we got your friend. And the kids are like, oh no. And they run away. They um, got Allison. Yeah. I was like, where, where are they going? <laughs> so that, that starts everything out. It was before this, right? We got Chad telling the story about the redneck massacre. Or yeah. He doesn't, redneck he doesn't say massacre. redneck. He says hillbilly. Very clearly. He's like hillbilly. Yep. The hillbilly massacre. And um, uh, 4th of July, Memorial Day. Memorial yeah. Day. So they're primed to oh, think that yeah. these are the hillbillies that have been killing kids or relatives of the hillbillies maybe it's one of those the hills have eyes type family of uh inbred rednecks so they they decide they're going to go and rescue allison i actually they... uh really enjoyed um the filter they used for the flashback oh yeah that of kind of telling uh, the story sepia? yeah yeah not not quite as sepia as sepia but yeah yeah like a lighter sepia almost it is it's good they know like this movie knows what it is. I won't, I don't want to say it's mocking it, but it knows what it is gently poking fun at like the type of movie. And um, I, I do believe this is a uh, director Eli Craig's first movie. It is. Um, yeah. He hasn't had a huge career since this. Um, I look, he directed the pilot episode for that failed zombie land TV show. Uh, okay. I think Amazon was going to do it as a, as a half hour series. And then he directed a movie for Netflix called little Eli which was basically a comedy version of the omen <laughs> that I don't know if you've seen it. It's a bit of a letdown. Oh, it sounds like I like omen. Wait, little Owen. Did I say little Eli? Well, you what said little Eli. Oh, okay. It's, I think it's, uh, you said uh, it's connected little to the omen. Evil. I said, I like the omen. Uh, he directed little evil, little evil for Netflix. His name is Eli. <laughs> the director's name is. Yeah. Eli. Yeah. But he, it's evil, little evil. Yeah, that was like a little, little strange name of a movie after yourself, but okay. Or a show after yourself, but Goldberg did it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, let's see. The first death in this movie, I can't. I besides flashback deaths, we had flashback. Besides deaths. the flashback death, I can't even remember. Oh, I know what it is. It's, um, no, I can't remember the character's name. I think oh, it's okay. Mitch, the, the kid who, like. Who All I can remember is Allison, and I had the hardest time, like, buying Allison at first. Like, it, like the actress does a great job, but I recognize her as Siri from uh, 30 Rock. Um, oh, Liz Lemon's yeah. secretary. Okay. Yeah, who who was always, like, aloof and, and like, super snobby and better. So, like, 
total 180 of her character, like between Siri and, and Alice. Because Allison's, you know, pretty nice and charming and, and helpful and, and, and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. She's she's kind of a um, the ideal for Dale. She grew up on a farm. You know, she's scared at first because she wakes up in their cabin and she thinks that they've kidnapped her too. She doesn't remember what happened. But well, she gets that dog. Yeah. <laughs> she, she quickly uh, she quickly realizes Dale who keeps bringing her breakfasts to try that is just once the best way yeah, she screams help. he screams is like it's the it's the the, the, the so so you don't like oh you don't like eggs or you do pancakes you don't like pancakes so i'll get something else and she's like pancakes yeah uh so she's there in the cabin the first death i think the character's name is mitch he's basically sent like they go to the cabin he's sent out to see what's going on and while he's approaching, I the think cabin, he's the reasonable one because Chad's already like, "Yeah, we gotta, we gotta get them." And he's like, "No, no, we could just go talk to them. I'll go talk to them." Uh, Tucker is out back behind the cabin, trying to. He's he's starting up a chainsaw. He's cutting some um, downed trees, and he yeah. he cuts into a beehive and uh, is attacked by a swarm of bees. And we which, get the uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre homage, of yeah, running around, comes, swinging around, but he's he's trying to get the bees, which is. <laughs> real great on like how how do we homage this scene and make it yeah. seem he's just like he's not just a crazy around. redneck <laughs> he's twirling it, the kids think he's running at them so they run and mitch running runs straight into another down tree which impales him well um, we get them both running that, like he doesn't it, he doesn't realize he's running at first and then they're running and they look at each other and they're kind of like why are you running yeah <laughs> like what mitch, are you running for <laughs> like Tucker looks like, what are you guys, wh- who are you? What are you doing here? And Mitch seems to realize just before he dies that he's like not, he's not being chasing chased. me. He <laughs> and, impels himself. Yeah. That's when he sees the bee. <laughs> uh, yeah. So um, the kids come back, they see the dead Mitch and they make the decision. One of the kids goes off to find the sheriff. The rest are going to try and save Allison. And they. And Tucker did not see himself. Uh, or did not see no Mi- he didn't see yeah. he did not see mitch die which leads to later on when he's throwing but now he's all chipper. stung up so that adds to his image he comes in all like be stung yeah talking he's, he's got a talking to Allison and swollen face so yeah he that- tries he try, tries to drink one of his pbrs and it's all like pouring out of the side of his face <laughs> so yeah that's that that's sitting pretty much sets up the template for the movie the kids keep coming to try and rescue allison they fail and end up killing themselves in the process well chad chad gives his whole speech yeah we got to murder them it's them or us this this is this is what living is if you don't want to live maybe you should just die like like what (laughs) chad goes crazier and crazier is more convinced than ever that he needs to kill them leading to well, actually, before well, it leads to the one guy comes back with the sheriff. The sheriff. No, no, no. We have the wood chipper scene first, don't we? Oh, yeah. I, I kind of glossed over that where t- oh, t- that's t- one of the best scenes. <laughs> Tucker's throwing wood in. And when the, the kids come to try and they're going to try and knock over Dale and Tucker. Uh, Dude pulls one, out like the tiniest of pocket knives. <laughs> yeah, he pulls out a tiny, and he's sneaking up on Tucker and he goes running at him. And Tucker like turns to pick something up. And the kid just jumps and run, lands in the wood chipper. Um, I think he like trips over his his foot is what it looks like. And oh, okay, yeah. that's that's probably right. I, I think I see that now. But he falls into the ch- wood chipper head first, and Tucker just doesn't know what's going on. He's trying to pull. Oh my god! Off. Tries to pull him out. Like it, uh, the the girls see him. It looks like he's shoving the body in, and he's getting blood splattered. And then you get the 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 gallon shot out stream of blood that splatters and hits the one girl like completely. You get that also, but also one of my favorite favorite little touches is 
once the wood chipper has stopped, Tucker said, I "You okay?" Exact line. He's like, "You okay, bud?" <laughs> yeah, you okay in there? <laughs> um, covered, covered in viscera. <laughs> yeah, it's such a, it's such a gross, like a gross moment in oh. a very fun way. Like all of the blood, it's a very bloody movie, but it's it's really, it's so right, over the it's top. So... Like when they when they do it, it's like it's not like little droplets. It's they're throwing a bucket. <laughs> it, it's so it's so cartoonish that it's it's so funny. It does remind me. This is a complete aside. I made it out. There was a Saturday Night Live Thanksgiving skit where they had to cut the turkey on the on the in the like a, in the table, and when they cut the turkey, it was supposed to spurt gallons of blood. But the prop department was like, no, that's not realistic. So they just had like a little trickle of blood. And so it it completely changed. It ruined the skit where the blood was supposed to be very funny. Just seeing like a little trickle ended up being very disturbing. Where <laughs> like if they had used a little less blood in this movie, it would have been like, oh, that's gross. But because they used so much, it's just like, oh, that's funny. It, it, they hit the perfect amount of comedy blood. Yeah, it's the, the Sam Raimi rule, right? Yeah. After that. One of the kids comes back with a sheriff who is not very good at his job. He goes inside the cabin with Tucker and Dale to check on Allison, who had been knocked unconscious. Wait, why and... do you think the sheriff wasn't good at his job? He listened to the, like, he could have gone in there guns a-blazing, but well, he's like, he does let's listen. see what these rednecks have to say. He does, does not judge a book by the cover. That is very true, but he also comes across them dragging half of a body. And then... Dale is like, oh, I knocked her unconscious. She's just in and there. She'd tell you the whole truth. Like his, their story is so ridiculous. He never draws his gun. He just goes in, turns his back to them, is sitting looking at the girl. And he's like, well, I believe you. At least question them. He doesn't like bring them in. Or he anything. did question them. He took them into the house and uh, listened to them. Okay. Uh, I, I, <laughs> hey, the, the incredible two-headed podcast believes that there is a major problem with policing. We need to defund the police. I'm getting that out there. But this cop <laughs> should have, this, this cop should have maybe been a little bit more on the ball. <laughs> I don't know. When I'm dragging the bottom half of a torso, I hope I run into a cop like this. Is all I have to say. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> this is the dream cop for any murderer. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, he dies because he leans on that, lo that loose beam and that yeah, the two by four comes down covering elves and just so he well he and it's not an instant death it's uh he he walks out stumbling like murmuring a little bit and and he grabs he, the radio and he goes hillbillies i think he says and just, just like falls out so the kids are in waiting in the car and they just think of course that he's been murdered by tucker and dale one of the kids gets out he gets the cop's gun but the safety is on and for some reason, Tucker's like, you got to turn the safety oh, off. Oh, yeah, he's, he's trying to shoot them. He's like, <laughs> and, no, no, there's, the, there's a safety on the side of the gun. Don't tell him that. <laughs> and then the, and the kid, like, the kid grabs it, and he, like, points it at himself while he's hitting the safety and shoots himself in the head. Um, like, oh, no, no, don't. Oh. Yeah. And so then the, the, the remaining kids at that point, they run off, right? They run off, and they come back later, I think. But they come back, and there's kind of a sit-down. Allison is trying to broker peace between the yuppie kids that are remaining and the, the rednecks or hillbillies. And uh, Chad is not really buying it. Everything goes south. The cabin ends up burning down. More people die. And then it's just Chad, Tucker, Dale, and Allison. A dog gets stolen. And that, then, yep, that's and right. Then, we even missed And then he takes his bowling fingers. Oh. Yeah, yeah. It all leads to a confrontation where Chad has done the old timey villain thing of tying 
Allison to a like an industrial saw in a sawmill and turned it on and Tucker comes in. There's a big fight. I don't know. This is kind of the end of the movie. We don't really need to go like micro with it. But Tucker is, I keep saying Tucker, it's Dale. Dale is triumphant. He shows that he's actually very smart after all by realizing that Chad has asthma and he finds a packet or a box of chamomile tea and chamomile can inflame the lungs so he like throws it into his face and causes an asthmatic attack even at this point like he he's he's like no he'll be fine we can get him his medicine and then chad like throws himself out the window and then that's kind of brings us to what the opening scene of the movie was because it cuts to dale visiting tucker in the hospital right right well well first he he finds him alive because he does the oh you're alive oh that's great and he hugs him he's like ow ow i'm really hurt right now you know one of the things i think that was supposed to be a comment on the the whole movie tropes of you just survived this horror movie how are you not like in enormous pain they actually yeah. focused of actually hey that actually hurt like th- that was a bad day man <laughs> you know in the commentary they were actually planning on killing tucker that was going to be tucker's death scene but they just felt it was too like too dark of a moment Ooh, right then. Yeah. So they decided to let him live and make a laugh out of it. It was a good laugh. I liked it. No, it's good. Like if this movie works at all, like I like I said, it, it gets a bit repetitive. Uh, Tyler but, Labine I mean, and Alan Tudyk. Yeah, I was just about to say those those two. They 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 pulled off such a great duo. Like they are they phenomenal job. They are always enjoyable to watch. So that even when the movie is kind of like, yeah, we've seen this joke before you don't mind it like it moves by so quickly and the characters are so likable that right they are so wholesome yeah really there's there's no rooting for chad in this movie (laughs) well no and i forgot to mention chad is he's half hillbilly like oh yeah i i found that so bizarre when he's like you're half hillbilly he's like no i'm not because isn't he the product of rape like Rape. one of yep. the one of the survivors of the massacre was raped and that like at, at first like because they keep revealing first he he tells the story of the massacre and then at one point he reveals that his mother was the only survivor and that they had burned his dad alive and then when they were at the the thing they find that she had survived and was raped and was put into like a mental asylum man that's that's which is an homage to um Freddy Kruger. Yeah, it, it could be Freddy Krueger, but man, that's for such a light movie. I mean, even though there's so much death, it's really light. That is glossed over. That that could easily just be like too dark for this film. There's one other thing that points to it. When, it, when you see the old photographs that are up on Tucker and Dale's cabin wall of all of the, the stuff about the massacre and the guy that gets arrested, the killer in those photographs is Chad in a wig. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I, know, I know when they show his mother, they, they showed one about... I didn't see it in the the first scenes. After the Trump, they go to visit, or Dale visits Tucker in the hospital. Tucker's had his fingers reattached, but one of them actually appears to be from one of the college girls. He's like, well, I don't remember painting (laughs) my nail. (laughs) Yeah, paint a nail on it, and and it's obviously a different finger. (laughs) And then a very bizarre ending where Dale goes bowling with Allison and like encourages another redneck to go and ask the girl out and he basically just knocks her unconscious and is dragging her body out of the bowling alley just gotta well, be yourself well nobody does anything it's well, people a, are panicking around him but why don't they stop him he's not like a it's not like he's a monster he's just like an old redneck it's such yeah. a weird ending yeah i think it was supposed to be another oh another misunderstanding maybe but he actually just knocked her out <laughs> yeah no that one looked like a little like oh uh, that wasn't an accident he didn't he didn't 
three stooges her he just like punched her <laughs> yeah man i feel like we, we kind of got a lot of stuff out of the way with cabin in the woods we're, we're blazing through this one do you have anything more that you want to say about it i mean great movie all around like i said uh i really enjoyed it uh alan tudyk and tyler the bean phenomenal job um yeah. they did some great homages you know uh very very evil dead fill on that cabin um or wrong turn it kind of has like with the the whole uh gas yeah. station like both of those movies with the the opening gas station with the the keeper you know the gatekeeper as they call him and uh uh, uh, cabin in the woods yeah the the you know the, the person that gives you all the warnings you know we that, that gives me the the wrong turn fill on on both of those you know that we did not talk at all about the harbinger in cabin in the woods and he is the funniest thing in the movie right yeah, in cabin of the woods he's he's just like so incoherent and crazy and uh i, I love when they got to take the phone call from him like i don't i don't know what he said <laughs> well he's he's just talking about he actually says the fool almost ruined the incantation. He's trying to tell them there's something wrong with the fool who is Marty. I mean, we're going back to Cabin in the Woods. So if they had listened to the Harbinger, they might have been able to figure out something was wrong with Marty and killed the kids with no problem. But but he speaks in prophecies and whatnot. So they, yeah, they, and they, they, then yeah. he's like, am I on speakerphone? Right? Yeah, take me uh, off speakerphone. <laughs> that, was, that was a good moment. Yeah. It's, it's the biggest laugh every time I watch that movie with people is the Harbinger on the phone. So anyway, Tucker and Dale, yeah. I think without Alan Tudyk or Tyler Labine, either one of them or any combination of actors. I, I, I'm not sure who you could replace either with. This movie wouldn't work. It works because of them. They're so good in this in this movie. And I know... And, and, and their styles of comedy. You know, it's, a, it's a little bit off from from Tyler Labine's typical character, um, but not too far from, you know, because he kind of has a typecast character. Yeah. But... You know, it, it's still close enough there. And Alan Tudyk, you know, he's he's he he has a, a wide spectrum, and and they just they just both do such a phenomenal job. And um, I hear they actually as as actors, um, they hit it off really well. Like they they got along incredibly well in this film, judging and it shows. Yeah, judging from the behind the scenes stuff, and I watched the commentary this time because I'd actually just before quarantine hit, a friend was over and watched Tucker and Dale. And I'd seen it so much and so recently that I figured like, oh, I'll just watch the commentary and the bonus features. And by all of that, they got along great. They've actually been in other things together. They were in season two of the BBC show Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency. I oh, saw, I saw I season one. There's I a haven't Dirk seen, Gently show, ha like based off the comics. Uh, yeah, the books. And the, I saw the first season. It was good. I haven't watched the second season yet, uh, but they're in that. Uh, not Not the same characters, of course. And they both really want to do a sequel. They've been talking for years about how much they want to do a sequel. And uh, last I heard about uh, a sequel, was like there was a script written, but they they weren't impressed. I think that was not not too long ago at a convention. They it was some, uh, somebody mentioned some. It, I, I, it was Boston Comic Con in 2017. Um, they were asked about it, and they both said that the script was written, but it was awful. And they also said that like where do you go with the sequel for this movie? Cause you've already told right. the joke Yeah. in the commentary. The director says that one, his first idea was Tucker and Dale go to Yale where Dale, because he's so intelligent, it goes to, it goes to Yale. And they said they wanted it to basically be goodwill hunting as a horror movie where Dale is sitting in on classes, but he's basically like a janitor and the other kids or like the other smart kids hate him. I can see that being funny. I think the way you do a sequel is 
you can't do the misunderstandings anymore. You can't have people think Tucker and Dale are the killers. It has to be more of a straight horror movie or they're in a more of a straight horror movie premise where now they have to just react to things like Tucker and Dale. No, it would, it would definitely be a, a hard, hard sequel. Yeah, it would. I, I'd see it. I'd see it in a minute. It, it, whatever my faults with this movie are, uh, they are greatly outweighed by the things I really like about it. Yeah, the, the, the performance of those two actors, like they, they, they take care of a lot for, for me and anything. Like, you, you know, when you, when you bring it up, it's like, it's kind of like the same joke over and over. It's like, well, huh, okay, maybe, but it's really, really well done over and over again. <laughs> Yes. No. I, and I and there was a, a little bit of a Canadian humor in there too. Um, I know it was uh, filmed in Canada, but uh, um, it's never really brought up. Um, his hat giver. That's yeah. basically get her done in Canadian speak. If you didn't know. Ah. Okay. I, I saw yeah. that it was his idea, but I didn't know what it was like. It, it certainly recalled Larry the Cable Guy for me, but I. I wasn't yeah. Sure yeah. 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 No. I, I. I saw that. I was like, well, I haven't heard that in a while. I was like, I haven't heard that since driving through Canada. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So, um, any other thoughts about Tucker and Dale? I, I. It feels like we haven't been talking about it very long, but I think we we've kind of covered it. Yeah. Yeah. No. So the last thing we like to do here, or the last thing I like to do here, is let's uh, give some recommendations. I think we each have a list of a few um, horror comedies we could talk about, uh, just kind of as recommendations. We don't really need to get too much into them. Uh, do you want to uh, go first, or do you want me to go first? Yeah, yeah. Uh, what I have down for for by five, um, The Frighteners. Oh. Uh, I really enjoy that one. I mean, definitely has some horror aspects, but uh, Michael J. Fox, he, he plays a paranormal like get rid of ghosts uh almost like ghostbusters but more of the psychic route um but the big twist is he knows these ghosts and he has them go into houses and and they set up like a con job where like yes he actually is removing ghosts he can see ghosts and talk to them but he knows like what like five of them or something and they just go up setting up con jobs and and then it actually does have some pretty horrific, spooky stuff in there and some crazy, sad stuff in there. Yeah, so, no, yeah Frighteners, Frighteners is a really fun movie. But talk about another movie that's almost ruined by its terrible 90s CGI. I, I, I You know, I'd have to see it again to see how bad it is. But I, I remember it like being pretty decent. But it, I don't expect much from my ghost. I mean, it, is it on par with Casper? Hey, it's doing all right with me. <laughs> <laughs> it's decent enough. But there's some moments where I was like, oh. Peter Jackson, because at the time in the 90s, Peter Jackson was so impressed with CGI, he really wanted to make a splatter horror movie using CGI that um, he just like embraced it. And he kind of uh, tempered that by the time he got to Lord of the Rings. But there's some of that CGI in, in Frighteners is pretty suspect. It is, such a it fun is one where the cover is like the, the original cover. I think it's the main, at least U.S. theatrical cover movie poster is the, the white face like coming through. Yeah, like the wall or something. Like that's that's, that's kind of like a frightening. Like it, it does not add any wholesome fun. Michael J. Fox like love <laughs> to the movie. Like when you see that, like you you know, and, and the, the 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 title Frighteners isn't necessarily goofy or anything. Like at, at first, I was actually a little intimidated by the the, the cover. Well, honest. as 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 funny as the movie is, there are some very there are some very dark themes like who the ghosts are that are, like the ghost that's doing yeah. the killing i i like him as a jake as, busey as a, yeah 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I like Jace, Jake Busey in this movie so much, but he's not really like he was start bringing up Starship Troopers again. He was in Starship Troopers, but he hasn't really had that career that I kind of thought he would after this. Yeah. I feel you. So on my list, I also had a Peter Jackson horror comedy, not The Frighteners. I'm sure you can guess which one it is. It's uh, Dead Alive, or as it's known in New Zealand, Brain Dead. Okay. We just watched that. My uh, Amber, my partner, and I watched that again a couple weeks ago. We tried to get our daughter, a 16-year-old, into it. Uh, she wasn't having it. She didn't finish the movie. <laughs> that movie is so gross. The custard scene when the zombie is like pus is shooting into the custard. The whole scene at the end with like that guar style big puppet uh, of the guy of his mother that he goes up inside of it's so gross but it's so much fun it's just such a funny movie to me it's such great lines too that zombie zombie killing kung fu priest side note have you seen dead alive i know of it i i don't think i've actually seen that one recommended because that one's actually been out for a while i don't know why i've never seen it i just i don't think i've ever had it like available to me yeah uh, think about it. I'm not sure if it's streaming anywhere. I we watched it on our DVD. But yeah, yeah. look at look it up. See that's if you can that's find the it. is that the cover where like there's something crawling out of the mouth. Yeah, she's pulling her mouth open, and you see a skull in the mouth. Yeah, yeah. I used to, okay. That's that's one that I used to see in um uh, movie rental stores. What did we call those back in the day? <laughs> Video stores. <laughs> Video stores. Yeah. <laughs> what, what what were those things? You worked at one. What was it? <laughs> Yeah, no, no it's, a good it's a good movie. I recommend it. Uh, so what's what's next on your list? Uh, next on my list, uh, going with a classic um, a musical with somebody who I hear is going to be doing movies again. Uh, Rick Moranis. Oh, uh, Rick Moranis, Little nice. Shop this is not actually where I, I thought you were going, but that's yeah. a good one. I, well, thought, I, I actually thought you were doing about a Rocky I do have Horror picture. No, no. I mean, I, I was thinking Rocky Horror. That, that definitely was a toss-up. But um, no, as much as I love uh, uh, you know, the time hop dance, um, you know, feed me more. Feed me. See more man that's such a good that's a good one I, we watched that one not too recently either i that, that's kind of a perennial favorite and it, and it has it has a, an old style there was like 80s era of backdrops where it was sunset in new york um when when i think of that movie it, it reminds me a lot of feelings from dick tracy yeah or okay. or um batteries not included like it just has a similar like the backdrop they have for the city has that that feel to it where it's it's actually like a a nice decor like painted sunsetting backdrop you know I'm I'm always a big fan of that. As much as I like things shot outdoors, I like realism. I'm a big fan of artificial skylines in movies. I, I, I Sometimes, like the 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 overly artistic skyline is is a lot better. Like it looks really good. And I know production wise, you know, like if you're trying to get into that twilight hour, like, ah, oh, it's just throw a backdrop of the twilight hours. Like, hell yeah. <laughs> you know, magic, magic hours, they call it. Oh. For my next pick, gonna stick in the 80s. I'm gonna go with another 80s classic. I'm gonna go with Gremlins. Ooh. I almost went with Gremlins 2. I might just include those as one because I think Gremlins 2 is one of the best things ever made. It is the pinnacle of pop culture, but it is it is also not as much of a horror movie as the first movie. It's see, it's I was thinking of Gremlins, but I wanted to save that for Christmas show. Oh, oh. All right. yeah, I like to I like to throw that as my curveball, you know, when everyone's trying to be funny, like, oh, what's your favorite Christmas movie? And everyone's like, oh, Die Hard, ha ha, it's a Christmas movie. I'm like, yeah, Gremlins too. 
What? Well, Gremlins one is Christmas. Gremlins two is uh. It's Labor still Christmassy, Day. isn't it? It's Labor Day. It's like summer, I think. I thought I thought his parents were coming and visit them on Christmas, and I thought the the place was all decorated up in Christmas. No, you need to you need to see it again. Might be mistaken on that. Yeah, I haven't seen that one in a while. I know the first one definitely is because uh, do you hear what I hear? Is is like to me that's a horror movie song because the Gremlins. (laughs) I think Gremlins two. As much as I love Gremlins two, I think it's terrific. Gremlins one's more of a horror movie, so I'm gonna. I'll have to say Gremlins, Gremlins one is definitely yeah that that one like Gremlins two is a lot more fun and they have they have some like you know the the spider Gremlin is a little frightening you know but you know that's that's just because spiders can be a little scary but yeah no the first one has some moments and and then it has the first one I always think is like oh yeah that one was definitely a horror movie but then last time I saw it you know you get to the bar scene where they're just like destroying the bar you're like. Oh, this ain't a horror movie. It's oh, it's d- it's definitely a comedy. Yeah. When they kill the woman and her like her chair, the chair that she uses to go up the the stairs that flies out the window and kills her, and <laughs> it's all comedic, but it's funny. Or the gremlin that's ki- that gets killed in the microwave, uh, yeah, is pretty gruesome. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, even it, even when they're like in the pool, like popping out, like it's it's a gross scene. It's uh it's one of the movies that brought about PG thirteen, right? I can't oh, yeah. remember which the first PG thirteen I always get get it mixed up which one brought the PG thirteen and which one was the first PG thirteen. I'm gonna look it up right now. The first PG thirteen movie was Red Dawn. So yeah, it would have been Gremlins would have been the one. Uh, like Gremlins and Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom are what Oh yeah, caused. I mean he eats the heart. Yeah, yeah. Spielberg uh like it caused Spielberg to say to the MPA there needs to be something in between. So what do you got on your list? Sticking with the Rick Moranis, going with the classic. Somebody needs to bring it up. Uh, Ghostbusters. Okay, there we go. Somebody brought it up. Ghostbusters. Def- definitely more comedy than horror. There are some still some good scenes. Uh, you know, full scenes. The the uh, you know Sigourney Weaver also in that movie. She does the horror scenes. The the Ghostbusters do more of the comedy stuff. But like Sigourney's, if if you just watch the movie from Sigourney's point of view. It's a horror movie. Oh, definitely. And it may be more comedy, but I remember seeing this movie as a kid and how terrified I was of that library library ghost in the beginning. Oh, I mean, for as old as that movie is, like the graphics are still pretty good. Like no, I I, I think terrific. they still yeah, yeah, for for the way they had to do those graphics, you know, they they have that ethereal look to them for sure. Yeah, Slimer is so good looking in that. Yeah, I remember. And they're they're mixed with practical effects, you know, them getting gooed and slimed all the time. Like, like, yeah. oh, you, that that hit you. No, uh, Ghostbusters. I think for people of our age, it's inescapable. Ghostbusters has to be on this list. Right. I'm going with. Uh, uh, I, I I put a couple of options on here. I'm gonna go stay with Ghosts. Man, which of these do I want to do? I think I'm gonna go with House or House. It's a Japanese movie from 1977, I believe. I don't know if you've seen it. it it's yeah. kind of had a resurgence in the last few years. More people know about it because Criterion released a Blu-ray of it. So it's it's out there somewhere. I don't know how you can get a hold of it to watch it. It is unlike anything you've ever seen before. The way I used to describe it to people is if a comedy troupe like Tim and Eric or somebody from UCB got their friends together to make a horror movie so it's got kind of a sketch comedy feel there's so much stuff going on the the one caveat i'll give is the first time you watch it it gets a little tiring because they're doing so many different camera effects there's so many different changes in tone so many plots so many character changes that 
it becomes tiring because so much is going on all the time. It's like the pace of the movie is always at a 10. It, it takes maybe a, a rewatch to be able to just like calm down and enjoy it. What's crazy about the movie to me is it was commissioned because the Japanese wanted a blockbuster to rival Jaws. And you watch the movie with that in mind and it makes no sense. You're like, what are they talking about? This is madness. And yet it actually did rival Jaws. It was a humongous blockbuster hit in Japan. This is house, like H-O-U-S-E? Yes, but you'll also see the Japanese title, which is just, it means house. It's just the their pronunciation of it is H-A-U-S-U. The image most so, uh, associated with it is like this orange cat cover. But uh, that's that. it's a lot of fun. It's very funny, but it, it, it's not for everybody, I don't think. All right, what do you got? Uh, if we're sticking to old movies, let's go with Monster Squad. Okay, let's go with it. Yeah. Uh, classic. I'm not sure if it's more on the horror. I mean, it's been years since I saw this, but I know that is a movie that I used to watch all the time in my my youth. I think it was one that showed up on 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 TV enough. The Black Lagoon monster, and it looks super awesome. A bunch of kids find a Frankenstein monster and, and befriend them. It's probably more of you know uh, a kid friendly movie than 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 a comedy, but it has its comedy scenes mixed in with some awesome. I mean, it was like the first movie I recall where you see all your classic uh, Universal monsters all together in like one film. You know, Dracula through a party. It it was the monster mash in the movie. Yeah, uh, no, that's a that's a classic. It is definitely kind of a a kids movie in the like. It almost feels like Spielberg could have produced it because it, it's kind of like you know Goonies or Explorers or something like that, but with monsters. Yeah, yeah, right. And it is maybe a little bit more mature than what we expect kids movies to be these days but it was the i mean 80s. they <laughs> blow up the werewolf with the tnt and you see the parts come back together <laughs> well yeah and the you know the the wolfman's got nards the, the wolfman's got nards. <laughs> i forgot about that yeah the, there's some good comedy lines in that it's it's kind of like a, a really a dream team of the people that like wrote it uh it was fred decker and shane black shane black would go on to lethal weapon a bunch of other big things and Fred Decker, he did Night of the Creeps. Um, he did Robocop 3, some Tales from the Crypt stuff. Like, he's been around. He's done a lot of stuff. I want to brag about Robocop 3, but I mean, okay. No, I wouldn't either. I wouldn't either. But, I mean, <laughs> like I said, he's he's been around. He's done stuff. He wrote a lot, of, lot more stuff. He wrote, well, speaking of, he wrote House, the American House. Not the one I was just talking about. but the, Like House MD? No, no, no. Um, it starred William Catt. He inherits a house from his aunt who committed suicide. It's haunted by some ghosts and he keeps seeing his uh, son who went missing years earlier. It's it's another horror comedy. It's really good. I'd suggest it. It's a fun movie from the mid-80s. So I should either watch the horror comedy House or the horror comedy House? Yes, you should watch both. Make it okay. make it a double feature. <laughs> and then and watch some House episodes, House MD. Right, House MD. That's actually not my pick. I'm going to go... Uh, making some hard choices here. I'm going to go with Return of the Living Dead, the unofficial official sequel parody of the Night of the Living Dead movies. It is my favorite non-George Romero zombie movie. It oh, is okay. the funniest, the scariest, and it has the best soundtrack. As funny as that movie it is, it really disturbs me. There's stuff in that movie that watching it, I still get a chill. How the zombies are so unstoppable. And there's the two characters that 
are slowly becoming zombies throughout the movie and they're kind of they're, they're, see i haven't seen that in like 20 plus years so to me like I, i'm remembering it as a horror movie i can't even think of it as that much of a frightening movie it's it is a comedy there there's some funny stuff in it like the when the zombies can talk a little bit in this one and they kill the the ambulance arrives and they kill the ambulance driver and one of the co- the zombies leans in and grabs the radio and just says, send more cops. It's it's where the idea of brains comes from, the zombies eating brains. Yeah, yeah. But this one, the, there's two characters in it that are slowly becoming zombies. They get exposed to the gas that reanimates the dead, the nerve agent that reanimates the dead. And they're alive, but they slowly through the movie become zombies. And there's a point where they're like, oh, my back hurts. and they Because they've been sitting down and they look and their blood's been pooling in their back because they don't have a pulse anymore and it's just causing these big bruises on their back. It's really disturbing to me, but it's in the middle of this movie. That's also very funny. <laughs> and it also has like the best, some of the best zombie effects, like the, they call him the muck man. The zombie in the beginning is just the coolest zombie ever. Well, if we're going with uh, zombies, I actually have a zombie movie down on mine, but it's starring uh, some of the cast from uh, spaced. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yep. Shaun of the Dead. Yeah. Yeah. Simon Pegg. Really great. I think it's probably the the piece of media that really brought Simon Pegg to the American market. Yes. Uh, Space was only kind of a a cult hit. There were people who knew about it, but it it had not aired over here. So it was kind of like only people who really paid attention to British culture knew about it. But it was as far as American audiences, it was Shaun of the Dead. Yeah. Yeah. Um, great movie. Uh, you know, British, your typical pub goer with his buddy plays video games all day. They wake up and the world has uh, turned into zombies and and their whole mission is to get his mum and head to the Winchester. But yeah, yeah, yeah. very, very fun adventure of, of him and his buddy trying trying to get to the pub because the pub has a gun the winchester named after winchester uh england for those who are not familiar does not have a lot of guns so you know they're kind of effed if the zombies come (laughs) if they're anything serious yeah there's a there's a bit of a a discussion in there like does the gun even work like is it a real gun yeah yeah it it, there's there's a great moment where they're they're beating on the zombie with cue sticks to the rhythm of uh queen (laughs) yeah no it's it's one of the best uses of queen in a movie i i love this movie so much it could have easily made my list i I kind of wanted to go for movies that I was trying to think of movies that you wouldn't pick. <laughs> like, <laughs> I will say we don't have to talk about it because we've already talked enough, but I'm surprised that neither of us picked any of the evil dead movies. Um, that, that was actually on my list. Um, yeah, it was on mine. And then I'm like, Oh no, I think one of us will do that. So um, the, the, the first evil dead, like no, actually is not much of a comedy. Not, no, it's, it's kind of frightening. Like there's some campy scenes in it, but like, there's some outright frightening scenes in the first Evil Dead. Like the remake of Evil Dead catches the 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 feel of the first Evil Dead more than it being like Army of Darkness. I, I would say definitely falls under the comedy. That's when it gets a little campy and whatnot. But like the first Evil Dead, I mean, you know, people like to make fun of the the tree rape scene, but tree rape is fucking serious, dude. That's that scene is like, ugh, yeah. I I just all I could think of as a kid. Like, oh my god the splinters yeah i mean i was just more concerned about the tree rape <laughs> yeah, well okay yes <laughs> yeah it's like um, splinters or not uh no thank you <laughs> so uh Shaun of the dead um that's another one i watch pretty regularly 
it's amazing to me how much of a real horror movie that becomes. That final act of the movie is harrowing. After the moment they get to the Winchester and you find out that the mom has been bitten. Um, oh, start, it gets emotional. Yeah. They, it looks like they start using different lighting. And I think they even use maybe a different film stock. And it looks like it's like a, a really classy 1970s horror movie. But it's really really well they do some great scenes like uh when he looks out the back window and you see them like slowly gathering up on 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 the door oh it's so good i'm maybe you know what i might actually watch that tonight after we're done recording (laughs) it's a good one it's a good one um a a honorable mention that oh yeah almost almost made my list ernest scared stupid oh man that's so good i yeah it, like it's it's one of those guilty pleasures like you don't want to necessarily admit is a good movie but like it is good it's a little bit later in the earnest not as good as say like Ernest goes to camp you know it's almost too much of an earnest movie the later earnest movies like you're just like okay you, you guys are doing a, a little bit too much some very emotional scenes like he actually catches you like when when his dog gets turned into the little wooden figure i remember that was like a real touching scene badass uh clubhouse man like how cool was that treehouse that was you, that was something else you say that about Ernest jim varney who played Ernest, like a really good actor i mean it's i'm glad really i'm glad he got this character because it kept him employed it it had a niche for him, but I, I don't think people took him seriously as both a kind of a comic actor and just a, a good actor in general. Like, you know, he was in Beverly Hillbillies. I thought he did a good job. That's kind of oh, fantastic job. Uh, he was Slinky Dog in Toy Story, too. Yeah, there's this weird movie from the 19 from 1999, I think, called Existo. He has a very small part in that. It's on YouTube if you want to check it out. That's that's a weird movie, but he's fun in that. Like, um, what's what's the movie? Is it Ernest goes to jail where he's like the bad Ernest as well? Yeah, that's there's a there's an evil version of him. Oh, yeah, he's so good in that. Like, he's, he's and like and so his smooth. two his two buddies who are in the movies all the time. They're uh the guards at the bank on that one. And his kids' show was great. I loved his Saturday morning show. Um, Did you know, um, Ernest was all based off of commercials? Yes. Yeah, I remember those commercials actually. Um, I think a lot of them were regional, but they became kind of a big nat- nationwide hit. Which yeah, it's where the uh. Uh, you know what I mean, Vern? But yeah. like, because it was him talking at the camera whenever he did the, you know what I mean, Vern scenes in the movies. That's that's how those commercials originally were. Like, you know what I mean, Vern? Yeah. Which we never learn who Vern is. <laughs> I am, I am a. Uh, we are big Jim Varney Ernest fans in this household. I, I will not because any... kids nowadays do not know who Ernest is. I we showed our daughter when she was like eight or nine. We showed her Ernest Scared Stupid. Because we were looking for like horror movies that she could watch, and she hated it. It ended, and she said, "Now I know why it's why it's called stupid." And <laughs> we almost sold her. Who's gonna buy a kid that says that? Yeah, <laughs> no, big fans, big fans. So that's a good. Yeah, a good I once did the the to a kid, and they're like, "What the hell are you doing?" It's like you know, like just kept doing it, and they're like, "What are you doing?" I'm uh, that's another one I may watch that and spaced invaders. If we're talking about like weird nineties kids, Halloween movies. (laughs) Okay. So I think we've been talking long enough. I think maybe it should be time to wrap it up. Maybe, maybe get our heads detached. So one of us can go enjoy a dinner, but uh, really quickly before I take off or we say goodbye, is there anything that you wanted to mention any about the movies or anything you want to plug? uh rumor is i hear you're part of an affiliate program 
Ah, yeah, that's right. We uh, mentioned at the beginning of the show that uh, Jared here works for Metallic, Metallic Dice, Dice Games. <laughs> no, yeah. I was going to say it. Uh, Jared here works for Metallic Dice Games, and they've been kind enough to give us a special offer if anybody wants to go check out their website. Uh, again, that's MetallicDiceGames.com. Uh, you can enter our promo code and get 10% off of your order. And that code is two heads, spelled out one word, T-W-O-H-E-A-D-S. Yeah, get get some discount on your dice, help help support two heads. Yeah, oh, that'd be great. It'd help support family-run business and help for support this me-run podcast. All right, well, uh, Jared, this has been a lot of fun. We don't actually get to talk much anymore. We haven't lived in the same state for quite a while, so it's great to catch up. It is probably time to say good night at this point. Alrighty. Happy rolling. Yep. Have a good one, everybody.